Hey everybody, it's Christina Caramo and welcome to It's Solid Food. Today we're going to have a very interesting episode. A very good friend of mine, Glenn Myers, coming on to talk about economics, monetary policy, and cryptocurrency. Why is this so important? Folks, you know I'm all about independence. And one of the things that's so critical is that we understand how monetary policy works, how money impacts us, that policy, and how we can move forward in the future to financial independence and security and freedom. And that's what we're going to talk about. I'm Christina Caramo, and now it's time for some solid food. And welcome to a solid food where we discuss all things in Christian apologetics, culture, and politics. So here is my friend, Glenn Meyer. He is a fellow Christian apologist. And before we get started with this episode, I have to say this. This is for educational purposes. You know, we live in a still happy world. So we're not giving you, Glenn isn't giving you formal financial advice. He does marketing and digital analytics. He's also a Christian apologist. So he's just offering educational and educate advice, advice, just educating you. And he's a great friend of mine, a brother in Christ. And so I felt that this will be a great opportunity for us to talk about something a little bit different than we normally talk about on our podcast, but money and financial management is extremely important. And one of the reasons I really want to bring Glenn on is because he has an understanding of monetary policy that I simply don't have. So instead of me trying to butcher this topic, why not bring my friend on to tell you about it? So thank you so much, Glenn, for coming on. What's up, Christina? Very glad to be here. And yes, man, I, I, I reiterate that this is not financial advice, so do your own research. <laughs> you know, Glenn, I think that's a really important point. And just even as us being apologists and just doing your own research. And, you know, it's really important. It's like people, we have teachers to kind of guide us, but ultimately we really need to dig into things for ourselves. So that's, and so let's jump right into it. There's so much to say about these <laughs> topics um, here about just economics in general. So let me first ask you this question, Glenn, what is investing? And I know some people may say, okay, I already know what it is, but just, if you could just talk a little bit about what is investing and why is it so important for people to learn how to invest their money? Yeah, I mean, to keep it simple, right? Investing is just simply paying your future self money. Mm. That's it. You're just you're just transferring money to your future self in like, you know, 20, 30 years from now. Because, you know, you don't want to get to a stage 20, 30 years, you know, and you go like, oops, I'm broke as a joke. My change is strange and my money is funny. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> You know, let me add, and I think that's really important because you see from time to time, and I know we have opposite ends where a lot of people, when they get older, they don't have any money. We see from time mm -hmm. to time when people will pass away and I'm not, and, and our intention is not to make fun of people who have mm -hmm. less money or people who are older, who are poor or, or impoverished or are struggling financially. It's simply to advise people because Glenn, I'm 35, you're what, about 30? 36 this year, but I'm still 35. Okay, so me and Glenn are the same because I'll be 36 in September. So me and Glenn are oh, both. Oh, September as well. <laughs> I think we had this conversation. I think we should birthday the 18th. Yeah, 18. I remember we had this conversation when I was the 14th. <laughs> so me and Glenn are literally four days apart. <laughs> four <laughs> days apart. It's so funny. Who's older, you or me? I'm older. Four, I'm oh, four days older, older than you. Got it, got it, cool, cool. <laughs> so 
So our goal is just to kind of help people, especially in our generation, not fall into the same trap we saw a, little, a lot of older people uh, fall into. And I, I know, I don't know if you have, but I've seen from time to time when a person passed away and the family's trying to do a GoFundMe to pay for burial costs, or you see from time to time where they're like, there's an older person who has to choose between medicine and food. So this is why it's important because when you get to a certain point in your life and maybe you're not having certain health challenges or you're just tired, you don't want want to have to still work 40 hours a week at 70. So like, yeah. how did you get into investing? Like what, what spurred you to get involved in that? Well, I mean, I think it's the thing, right? Like nobody wants to be on a struggle bus. Um, for me, I grew up in Singapore, my family, maybe like about 25 to $30,000 a year. I'm the oldest brother, my mom, my, my, my brother, the younger brother, my mom was the breadwinner. My dad was also working as a coach. But you know, for most part, like, my, my family just got by and I, I lived a very comfortable life with very little. You know, but that's also this part of me. It's like, you know, the next generation needs to do better than the previous generation. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm like, I want to do better for myself, right? Um, how I got into investing was my first my first job. I stumbled across it. I was looking for a job. Uh, I became a financial services consultant. That's when I got my feet wet in learning how to invest, what investments are, compound interest, uh, how interest actually helps you grow over time. It makes you more money, right? That's the first time I got into it. I remember in the, I think, 2008 or 2009 crisis, um, you know, because I'm an insurance agent, I work on commission, right? Mm. So my first customer was my mom, right? <laughs> uh, so I remember it was the 2008 financial crisis, um, and that's when the market had crashed in October. And I told my mom, you know what, this is how you invest. Um, I understood the principle, so I, I took some, got her to take some money from her 401k. She invested it. And within a year, she doubled her money, right? Mm. And my and my mom was someone who was never invested before. And she was like, wow, like how did I double my money in a year? You know, uh, then I came to New York City and started working and all that kind of stuff. And I forgot my investing principles because you know, in, New York, <laughs> in, in New York City, you're just trying to get by, you know, and, and, and pay your bills. And then I was doing school as well, my another master's program. So I didn't really think about investing until maybe like two years ago. And I'm like, wait a minute, what am I doing? Uh, if, if I had done this, I would have more money today. And all I needed to do was just uh, leave it in good investments rather than leave it in a bank, right? Because, um, I mean, you, you can ask yourself this question. I, I, I saw this on Instagram a couple of weeks ago. Uh, these two um, guys on, on the Breakfast Club, right? And they said this, like, how many people do you know that actually work two or three jobs, you know? And they're talking about like the black community or Latino community. They work two or three jobs to get by. How many of how many people do you know that work two or three jobs and they are rich, but or are they broke? And he's like, you know, most people are still broke after working two or three jobs. They're trying to pay their bills and all that kind of stuff, right? And they don't teach you how to invest uh, at a young age. And the thing is, um, you leave all your money in the bank, right? But what you don't know is the bank is actually using your money to invest mm -hmm. and they, they are making themselves rich with your money. So if the banks are making are getting themselves rich with your money, then why aren't you doing the same thing by investing? Because, you know, um, it's one thing to be an entrepreneur and, you know, um, have a business. The, 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 the most basic and easiest way is you make every single one of your dollars work for you right mm. so rather than you work for your money which is one thing you need to you need to make your money work for you so you employ all your dollar bills to go work for you by buying good assets by investing 
So <clears throat> with that being said, you talked about a lot of people working two or three jobs and that's true. So instead of working two or three jobs, work a job and learn how to invest your money, because it was funny. I, I was in New York, my first visit in New York and me and Glenn and another one of our friends from theology schools. I don't know if I, I didn't mention it <clears throat> in the opening, but Brent, I met Glenn at Biola. So he's a, one of my fellow classmates from theology school and me and him and another one of our classmates were sitting down, we're eating dinner. And Glenn was telling me about Bitcoin and all this stuff and about how to invest my money. And we'll get to that later in the show. And from and so then eventually I kind of started getting into it right around the time COVID hit. And I was sitting at home because COVID impacted everybody differently. So some people like myself, I was still working, but see, I wasn't driving to work. I wasn't eating out. So a lot of those expenses of going to and fro to and from to work, I started having like extra money. So I, I'm texting Glenn, like, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And getting little pieces of advice here or there. And it wound up like panning out for me because one of my uh, job, my main job is teaching, they reduced our hours drastically. And so some of the profit I made from investing, it was able to keep me afloat until I was able to make other adjustments. So it's really, it's so, it's, it benefits you to invest your money, not just planning for your future, but also sometimes if you hit a, a tough spot in the here and now, I was able to sell my some of my stocks and able to stay afloat in the meantime. So that, that's really important. Glenn, I'm going to ask you this. When you talk to most people of our age, are most of them investing? Because from what I see, most are not. Yeah, you know, you'd be, so I think in the last three months, right, I spoke to about 70 people to invest, 70 people, right? Um, and like, I spent like maybe two hours of my time talking to them, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's, to me, that's considered ministry. It doesn't need to be like in a church. You know, I'm helping people. That's still part of ministry, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm just speak, speaking to people, educating people on investing. And I think, um, a lot of people are very hesitant, right? And, and, and investing is to do with more, more, more of mindset than how much money you have in your bank, right? And this is not to make fun of or downplay like poor people or people who are broke, right? right? Um, broke is your bank account, but poor is your mindset, you know? Mm -hmm. like, like you can have a rich mindset and a broke bank account. All of us have been broke before. But the, like, like investing and money is all about mindset between how, how the rich thing and how the poor thing, right? Like a lot of people who have never invested, when you give them an opportunity, they will find every reason to tell you why it's a scam. And they have never invested in their lives before, you know? So <laughs> th th there's only so much you can say to a person before they actually take action. Because I, I, I firmly believe this, that, you know, um, the amount of money a person has is based on the decisions that they make, right? How you, what you choose to do with your money, right? Um, you know, for, for most part, you know? So, um, yeah, so, so, I think what, what people don't understand is you can tell them to invest. You're like, oh, you make more money. Okay, great, right? Some people, honestly, some people are not very incentivized to make more money. Some people are just comfortable where they are. Yeah, at, that's right? true. So one of the things I, I, like, I, I, I like to highlight to people is that they first, they need to understand what is money and what is the problem with, what's the problem that we have. Once you understand the problem, the solution becomes obvious because if you know the problem and you don't do anything to fix it, then you're a fool, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so, so like basically like what is money, right? Money is basically technology, right? That, that stores our time and our energy, right? Mm. Monetary energy, right? So you spend 50 hours at work, right? You get compensated for 50 hours in monetary value, right? Mm -hmm. And your hope is that whatever 
that you store your energy, your monetary energy in, you can use it for the future, right? To trade off, to buy whatever it is you want to buy. A holiday, a vacation, or a house, right? However, the problem is if we are storing our time and energy in what we call cash, which is fiat currency, mm-hmm. right? That's just the official term, which is fiat actually means by decree, by decree by the government, right? Mm. That's what fiat means, right? If you store your, your monetary and time, time and energy in fiat, it actually loses its value, right? So it's like sitting in a bank, it's rotting, it's a melting iceberg. Your, your purchasing power is being reduced by 15% every single year, right? Wow. Right? And, and in, ten, in a decade, 75% of your purchasing power is gone, right? So, so basically think about this, right? You spend 50 hours a week at work, but in actuality, rather than being able to spend or trade at 50 hours for other things, you can only trade maybe like 30 or 40 hours because of your, because your purchasing power is being reduced, right? Mm. So if you understand that your money sitting in the bank is actually losing its value, right? Then a responsible individual will be like, what can I do to protect my time and my energy, right? Because all of us wakes up in the morning, we trade our time for things in life, right? And to think that it just gets disappears or it gets devalued just like that, whenever Jerome Powell pushes the print button, right? Mm. 350, Amer- 350 million Americans, their, their time and energy just gets wiped out and it gets retransferred to the wealthy people, right? So what are you going to do if, if, if you know your money is getting devalued? So if once you know the problem, the, the honest solution is to buy assets, right? Assets, assets, you could buy stocks, you could buy property, you could buy bonds, even though bonds is really low, or you could buy Bitcoin, right? Um, <laughs> but, 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 but like, once you understand that, it's like sort of, so it's sort of like insurance policy for your money. You have health insurance for your health, you know, but monetary policy is just losing its value. What are you going to do? And most people don't understand that. Right? And, and just to break it down, what I mean by your purchasing power is decreasing is that, no, in the bank, it still says $10,000 or it says $1,000, right? But guess what? Your haircut your haircut is going up by $5 every single year. The dollar van is now not even a dollar van, you know? You couldn't even get on a dollar van with a dollar, right? You need $2 to get on a dollar van. Right? <laughs> your, your McDonald's yeah. surprise is going up. Your Jordan surprise is going up. Basically, everything is going up. So you're spending more money for the same items that you used to live and therefore you become poor because now you're spending more money for the same bread you've been eating for the last 10 years. And meanwhile, your salary is still the same. Your living situation is still the same and this it causes a cycle of poverty and people get stuck in this if they don't invest oh man glenn it, it, wow it, it's so much I, so because I, 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 I became excited to get to the cryptocurrency because i was nervous to get involved in crypto until glenn gave me some encouragement and you know i've done the bitcoin and altcoins so even before i get there because i feel a lot of people are like what is bitcoin what is cryptocurrency so i did want to touch for a minute about monetary policy because glenn like i think it was like a couple weeks ago when i was talking to you on the phone you began to explain to me the difference between keynesian and austrian economics now anybody who knows me know i'm really politics i breathe politics right but when it comes to certain economic policies as far as like the fundamental views of how money is to be handled what money is i am i'm a little ignorant on it i'm not gonna lie so to me it was really great to bring glenn on because he 
is very well versed in this stuff far more than I am. And I, I'm, I'm learning myself. So this every audience I'm learning is with you. So Glenn, if you could explain to me a little bit in the audience as well about uh, the Keynesian policy or Keynesian policy Keynesian. versus Austrian economics and, and how that, what it is and how does it mm -hmm. impact poverty and wealth, if you could do that. Yeah, yeah. So there's two different schools of thought, right? Austrian school of economics and Keynesian economics. Uh, if you if 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 you if you're raised in America and you're an economist or you go to college and study economics, you probably only heard of the Keynesian economics because that is what they teach in school, and mm -hmm. everyone in the central bank, like that's what they're operating on, right? Mm -hmm. So like, what's the difference between the two, right? Um, Keynesian um, Keynesian economics is Keynesian economics basically says the government needs to get involved in society when it comes to monetary policy, and they are the other ones who are going to set the rates. They're the ones who are going to determine how much money is going to be printed. And uh, whenever there's a, like example, a crisis, like, you know, for example, now, in, like when crises happen, all the more the government needs to get involved, right? So uh, what happens is like, uh, the idea is when, when there's a crisis, all the government needs to do is just increase the supply of cash. When you increase the supply of cash, uh, because Keynesian economics functions on the premise that you need to get people to spend money, right? Mm. The moment money comes in, like money in, money out immediately. So you get cash, you, you print cash, you give it to the citizens, the citizens start spending, GDP goes out, they're happy, everything is good, mm. right? But what happens when people start spending, inflation comes up and things become more expensive, right? And then if you speak to the uh, Keynesian economists, they will say, well, you know, um, these are long, I mean, obviously there's long-term consequences, but guess what, we we'll all be dead, so we don't have to worry about it, mm. right? But you see how that gets passed to the next generation, right? Mm -hmm. So the boomers started this, right? The boomers since the 1970s after, I think was it Nixon, 1971, he went off the gold standard. He went mm -hmm. off the gold standard and he just went 100% fiat, right? Um, and again, this monetary policy is not left or right. This is just, it's apolitical. It's just what is. This is how the system functions. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, yeah, we just keep printing money, just keep printing and printing and printing, stimulate the economy. It's like an artificial stimulus, right? So, so imagine like, you know, uh, if I could give an analogy or uh, if uh, this is how a Keynesian economics uh, economist will build a house, right? Let's say you wanted to build a house. You have the Austrian guy and the Keynesian guy. I'll explain what Austrian is afterwards. The Keynesian guy will go like, well, um, I can, the, the contract is to build 100 houses, right? But to build 100 houses, you need like 1 million bricks. 1 million bricks to build 100 houses. But you see, the Keynesian guy wants the contract for himself. So he will say, it's okay. I can build 120 houses mm -hmm. and I don't need a million bricks. I only need 800,000 bricks. Right? Mm -hmm. Right? That's, and that's, that, that's the analogy of interest rate manipulation. So now this guy is building all these houses. Right? He's building all these houses. But guess what? At some point, he doesn't have enough bricks to finish up the house. Right? Mm -hmm. So he overpromises over what, he, what, he, what he has or what he doesn't have. Right? Whereas the, the difference is the Austrian, econo uh, the Aust Austrian economics, all they care is about government should not get involved in monetary policy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we should just we should let, we should let the free markets ride out itself. Uh, you know, uh, and because of human nature, things are very predictable, right? And when the crisis happens, right, guess what? It's a self-purging effect. If you have a bet, if, if, you, if you're in debt and you go bankrupt, too bad for you. You know, you just, mm -hmm. you just go to, just go to zero mm -hmm. and the better companies or the better ones will, will, will rise out from that ash, right? And they will create a better system. So the, the, the Austrian uh, economists, they're more concerned about, you know, if I have one, 
they're, they're concerned with, you know, building 100 houses with 1 million bricks. They're not concerned with, you know, spending extra money that they don't have, right? And they don't want to get involved in monetary policy. They're just more like, look, this is human nature. Markets go up and down. We just let it run its cost and like survival of the fittest, right? Whatever happens, what happens. I have a couple, a couple of things that come to mind. One is the, I think it's a Greek proverb that says, the wise man builds a tree where, or not builds, but a wise man plants a tree where he'll never enjoy the shade. And when I think about the Keynesian model, it's like they have, I, want, I don't want to say no, but to me, they have very little regard for the future. Yeah. You know, they have very little regard. And, and that's good. what we see right now going on um, as this uh, guy who's a minister and held a podcast. And, you know, Glenn, you can correct me. I mean, even though, you know, you think you know the Bible, but there's things you always forget. But I believe it was Hezekiah um, when I forgot which prophet came to him and he showed Babylon like all his gold and all his stuff. He showed them everything he had. And uh, I forget which prophet, I, I want to say, was it Isaiah? But I don't want to misquote. But the gist of the story was, is that the prophet came to him and said, hey, you've shown them everything. Like, this is, what have you done? And he was kind of like, well, it's not my problem. I'll be dead before it happens, you know that. And so that's kind of when I, when um, Abraham Hamilton III, when he was recounting that part in scripture, he was just talking about how our monetary policy in America is just no regard for how it's going to impact mm. our children and grandchildren. And yeah. when we say we're passing them debt, people are like, oh, well, I'm going to get more money. It's like, where is your concern for your children and grandchildren? Yes, I have, yeah. I'm a mother and one day I'm going to die. And nine times out of 10, I will out, I will die before my children and they will outlive mm. me. But I have, I do not possess this mindset that, oh, well, they'll figure it out. No, I want to go to my yeah. grave knowing that the, I left them something. And, and, and that's what's frustrating. It's like, it's no regard for the future. And yeah. to me, the Austrian model, as you mentioned, has more understanding of human nature. You know, I think with the with the Keynesian model, because it's government intervention, it's feel like, to me, it has this flawed view of human nature, because if you always bail people out, they'll never get responsible. You, 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 you won't learn from your, your mistakes, so, which is why I think the Austrian economic school of thought is much better, because it's like, example, like, you know, in 2008, like, you know, if, like, like government used taxpayers money to build companies out, right? Under the Austrian economic school of thought, they're like, yeah, just let it just let it go down. We'll we'll rebuild again, but we'll rebuild a better system, better mm. future, right? And I think uh, you hit it on the, on the nail. The, the the biggest difference, one of the, the main difference between Keynesian and Austrian school of economics, um, Austrian school of economics, they are focused on low time preference, right? What I mean by low time preference, meaning that a society that defers consumption, they will be able to consume more in the long run because. Uh, because uh, they, they will be able to consume more than a low saving society because these people, they are saving, saving and saving. And because they're saving so much in the future, right? Prices are low. They can buy more stuff so they can consume mm. more. It's not immediate gratification. But for the Keynesian school of thought, it's very high time preference, right? It's, it seeks, it, it, I, I, this is why it contributes to the culture of immediate gratification. Yes, I, yes, yes. I, I, I need to be immediately gratified because I have money in, Money needs to go out right now, you know? Some mm -hmm. people, like, I like to say this, right? Uh, um, they like to, they, they want to go out to buy a PS5 and their bank account is a PS0. You know? <laughs> right? So, they, 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 they want to try to act like a baller when they have no dollar, you know? Or, <laughs> or they want to be a player when they are fakers, you know? So, so it's like, um, 
you know, it, it, it really encourages that. So like, and, and here's the thing, right? Like if you knew that housing prices were going to be higher in the future, right? You would want to buy it now than buy it in the future. It just makes sense because right. prices keep going up and prices keep going up because of, of inflation, mm-hmm. right? But under the Austrian economic system, you know, they, they talk about deflation. It isn't necessarily bad. But if prices go down, then you, or if prices stay the same, then the house price is just going to be like, you know, very, very stable. Mm-hmm. And you can sort of save and then you buy it rather than take on debt to buy stuff, right? Yeah. So uh, under the Keynesian model, it will just encourage people to not save. It will encourage people to take on more debt. And again, people are not financially savvy. So they take on so much debt that, you know, they're just financially ruined. Even before they leave college, like why would you take a $200,000 loan to go to college? And then on top of that, it's like, hey, spring break. I've seen this, right? College kids, they go to the bank, they borrow money for spring break. Doesn't make any sense to me at all. Mm-mm. No, it, you know, Glenn, it makes me think about how like you, we wouldn't tell a person to run their personal finances on the Keynesian model. We would tell a person to run their personal finances based on the Austrian model. So if we would discourage a person from running their finances on the Keynesian model or Keynesian model, then why should we run our entire nation's policy of financial or monetary yeah. policy on the model? That it's it's asinine. It yeah, makes uh, no it's, sense. Yeah, it's very simple, right? If you have one dollar in the bank, you can only spend one dollar. That's how it works on, under the Austrian school of thought, right? Mm-hmm. If you have one dollar in the bank, you don't go and spend ten dollars. But mm-hmm. that is how, like, uh, not just America, even Europe. That's how their monetary policy works. That's how the global policy works because we are 100% fiat, right? And we're not, we're off the gold standard, you know, because at least with the gold standard, there's this fixed, like, you know, the amount of gold, like gold is worth a certain value. Mm-hmm. The amount of cash fiat that you have has to be backed by the gold. So mm-hmm. if you have $1 billion worth of gold, right, you need to have $1 billion worth of cash. You can't have like $2 billion worth of cash and $1 billion worth of gold. It's, it's off, right? But right. that's what the government did. They split it up and it's like, now we can just, print money out of thin air, right? And here's the thing. Um, the, the reason why Keynesian economists, like whatever, even like that, like, like the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, all these people, they're all Keynesian economists, even like Janet Yellen, everyone, they're all Keynesian economists, right? Um, economists, right? Having the ability to print money literally and figuratively increases the power of government and any government looks for anything that gives it more power because they're mm. the one giving money to people, right? And government, they love the Keynesian model of economics is because, you know, um, it, 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 it offers them sophistry and justification of acquir- acquiring more money and power. Like that's, that, that's what it is. It's just more power. You know, because I'm the one giving you the money. I control. If, if I can control, if I can devalue and de- devalue your time at a push of a button, right? Like that's not good. And no human being should have that much power to devalue the time and energy of another human being. Like no human being should have that power. But you see, all of us, we wake up every single day, 350 million of us, right? Jerome Powell, and you thing, I'm not saying these people have bad intentions. They probably have good intentions. Like they, they, they don't want to go, yeah, I want to harm the American citizens, right? They probably have good intentions, but you know, the, 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 the road to hell is paved with many good intentions, right? So, so what happens is, uh, you know, he goes to his computer, he press control P to print money, and the moment he press control P, right, he prints out all this, like right now, $2 trillion stimulus that's coming, right? Um, what happens is all of us, the average Americans, right, it automatically devalues our time and our, and our energy. It just gets sucked. It just gets sucked out and it gets redistributed to, you know who? The rich people, right? Because they have the ability to 
acquire cash. You feel me? Right. You have the ability to acquire cash. So the money is redistributed. Our time and energy is redistributed to them. And that is what causes the wealth gap. It's a rocket fuel for the wealth gap, which is mm. why people say the rich is getting richer, the poor is getting poorer. You know why? Because every time you print the money, more money goes to the rich, our time and value gets sucked up, it gets transferred to them. And guess what? You, 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 the gap keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And again, this is not um, um, a political thing. It's not like left or right. This is just an economic policy that has political consequences, you know? It's funny, Glenn, because you're being so charitable. It's funny you said you don't think they have bad intentions. You know what I think. I do. (laughs) (laughs) I I believe these people know exactly what they're doing. Now, are there, you know, I believe there's a hierarchy. You know, I believe many people do mean well. I do. I don't have this idea that everyone who does things that I don't agree with necessarily have like nefarious motives behind it. I don't want to do that. But I do believe many of these people, I think they know precisely what they're doing because they're transferring massive amounts of power to themselves. And and then too many of the politicians who do this like print money model, you know, people are like, I don't care what they do. They can do anything. They're putting money in my pocket. It's like, yeah, but they're taking away your freedoms and they're and they're amassing mass amounts of power for themselves. And yeah. that's scary. And when people get power, they don't give it up. <laughs> and, 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 and I want to say this, right? I'm not saying, I understand that Americans need this. I'm not saying the stimulus is necessarily bad or even like people want like college loan forgiveness, all that stuff aside, right? But people need to understand, right? this student loan forgiveness and this printing money, it's going to harm everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like you, you may get the paycheck, you need to pay our bills to get it. But at the end of the day, it's going to harm everyone. And in the long run, like all of us still going to be alive. Okay, we are, we are the ones who incur the debt, you know? And, and, and here's the thing, I, I, I think the reason why no one is going to say anything about it is because, like you said, like people with well, like well-meaning intentions working in the federal banks and stuff, right? The, the, the feds, right? You know, um, they understand that if they were to break away from this model, they, they're going to encounter short-term pain, right? Short-term mm, pain. Like, because it's, like, like it's going to hurt the economy for a while, right? But here's the thing. Would you rather want short-term pain for long-term gain, which is no time preference, Austrian, or would you prefer short-term gain for long-term pain, which is Keynesian? Mm-hmm. Right? It is. You, you want to take the pain now or you want to take the pain later? I'm willing to take the pain now so that the future will be better mm-hmm. rather than, yo, you know, YOLO, you only live once. Yeah, that's you know, exactly what know, the monetary policy is. Let's get the gain first and whatever happens, happens, happens. Who knows? A meteorite might come like five years from now and hit off, you know? Who knows? It, it's, what is that? <laughs> the Epicurean view? Eat and drink tomorrow, will die? I mean, that's yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Th- that's exactly. the and, idea. And, 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 and it all boils down to economics. Because economics is basically how you distribute resources in society mm-hmm. and and the reason why you need to have a sound monetary policy is because if you want to build a strong society sound money is essential to build a stable economy right mm-hmm. um you know if you have if you have bad money society will go to chaos right and all fiat cash eventually goes to zero everything goes to zero right so the question is when the us dollar goes to zero what's going to happen to you Right. Mm. And, and, and those people who are complaining about disparities, right, it'll just get even worse. It will. Right? So it, it, will. It, it, it almost, it's almost like you're stuck in a rock and a hard place because on one side, those who are complaining about disparities, they're the ones who also want the stimulus check. But what they don't understand is when these stimulus checks get printed, the disparities get bigger. Yeah. Right. So, Long and, term. Again, 
again, it's not their fault. It's just the way the financial system is in America. You know, it's interesting you say that because I, I think about, you know, I look at my parents. Um, my dad worked at one of the big three. Um, he worked and he didn't go to college, but my mother stayed at home and my parents were able to buy a home, have a comfortable life for me and my sister, just off one income. Nowadays, there's no way in the world most families could have the husband work, the wife stay at home. That is so rare because wages are stagnant. Wages are so stagnant. And whenever you have government intervention, it kills the economy. You think of like with, and, and I know we're just talking about, uh, we're trying, I, I don't want to, because everyone knows I'm a conservative. They know that's, that's how I get down. But um, one of the things just pointing to about policy and how it impacts wages, you know, with, with uh, the, the Health Care Act, the Affordable Health Care Act. Um, I'm not going to call it by its nickname because I think people are going to get turned off if they, because I want people to know this regardless of their political views. This is the episode I want everyone to tune into just understanding about sound money policy. But when the Affordable Care Act was passed, many employers laid off people, reduced hours. That's what they did. And that's what people failed to understand. So the government can pass these policies. We're like, yeah, they're going to force companies to pay $15 an hour. And yeah, they're going to force companies to pay me more. But all the companies will do is mm, cutting your hours. We're cutting this. We're cutting that because the company is going to protect itself. You just yeah. get screwed in the end. And I know yeah. a woman who worked, I was working at a particular place and her employer told her, we have to cut your hours because we can't afford to give everybody healthcare. So not only did she get her hours cut, but she still didn't get healthcare, you know, yeah. or I know of one particular place, they just had a bunch of part-time employees. They just had yeah. a bunch of part-time employees. So instead of them having fewer employees and providing everybody healthcare, they just had more employees part-time. So now you still don't have your healthcare and now you have to pick up an extra job because companies don't want to pay healthcare for everybody. Yeah. So oftentimes the government promises these policies or promises to flood the economy with money and people are cheering it on, but it kills us in the end. You know, it, it just doesn't happen because if you think about it, wages are stagnant. Wages are very stagnant because yeah. to yeah. live a comfortable life, I mean, where I live, you live in New York. So yeah. the prices are wild. Like when I came yeah. to visit, I'm like, oh my God, like a bottle of water is like $3. It's like being at the airport, 20, right. it's like living yeah. at the airport in New York, yeah. you know, but here in Michigan to get a decent house, it's at least a hundred thousand dollars at least. Mm -hmm. And the, from what I understand when buying a house, you should be earning per year, the price of the house that you're purchasing. Most right. people are not earning a hundred thousand dollars a year. There simply aren't. So most people are buying a house when they're financially not ready to, but then they won't be able to get a house any other way. So it's just like, it's so, it's so, 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 so short-sighted. I mean, you think of, I mean, the, one of the easiest ways we can see prices, I know it's going to sound funny, Glenn, but chips. When I was in school, chips used to be a dollar. A candy bar was 50 cents. Now chips are like a dollar 49 and your candy bar is a dollar. Now I know that's something small and minuscule, but that's just an example of what you're talking about of inflation and how the prices of everything go up. There's no way in the world you can find a 50 cent candy bar unless it's like on clearance. Right. You know, and so forget the candy bar. That's not the point. The point is, is that people aren't, people aren't making money the same. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll say just to give an analogy of, of, over the uh, Kenzie and Austrian, right? So, like, you know, forest fires and stuff, right? You know, mm -hmm. um, so what happened was, you know, um, there's this forest fire and stuff, and, you know, it's burning, it, it's burning around, and then, you know, 
the U.S. government is like, okay, I'm, I'm just telling a story here, right? Mm-hmm. They go like, okay, you know what? I, I, I need to reduce the forest fires. So, so the government starts spending a lot of money, training people and all that kind of stuff. And guess what? They reduce a lot of the small fires, right? But what happened in the following year, right? There was this big fire that just burned down every single thing, mm-hmm. right? And they go like, wait a minute, didn't the government help and all that kind of stuff? And the reason why the forest fire burned down every single thing is because uh, those small fo- those small forest fires were burning off the shrubs and the weeds, right? Mm-hmm. It burned off naturally. But now because the government got involved and changed every single thing, those things contributed to the fire go- go- going bigger. Mm-hmm. So that's at the end of the day, right? Is nature was better off not being disturbed, right? It takes care of itself in the long run. Mm-hmm. And and that, and I think and I want to get into crypto, but I was kind of deciding when to interject this. But I guess when now, because we're talking a little bit about letting nature run its course. As Christians, you know, because I'm really ready to get to crypto, but just I have a couple. I want did want to interject this here. Just as Christians, you know, why is we, you talk a little bit about human nature and some of the realities of poverty and how we need to as Christians have a sound view of money because one of the things money is important I mean just think about if you're a I mean a ministry like Paul he built tents you know we see uh, even in the gospel I would think it was in second Thessalonians Paul talked about you know depend on no one for anything and you know be able to take care of yourself and that's really important number one because it costs to live you got to wear clothes you have to eat you have to have shelter so it, it costs to live. So therefore, so you won't be a burden on other people, even family members. All of us know people who should be more wise with their money and it becomes a burden on the other family members. So for that very least, it helps. But also you want to support the gospel. I mean, it costs to run a ministry. Also, yeah. you want to support the poor. We want to, when I say support the poor, I don't mean literally taking care of people, but you want to help people because I feel like what was Christians a lot of the poverty issues we see, it's not the job of the government. It's the job of the church. It's the job of the church to step in and and you see a poor person to walk alongside and say, hey, what's going on with you? What's happening? Maybe the person has a drug addiction. Maybe the person has a mental illness. Maybe their house burned down. You don't know what's going on. There's so many reasons why a person is in poverty, but it's our job at the church to see what's going on. How can we help and then disciple the person in the process? Because that's what God commanded the church to do. When we, Mm -hmm. if you have a hungry man on the street and you told him about Jesus with, and you gave him a sandwich, you have filled him far, you have enough, um, filled him and and helped him far more than a government giving him a bridge card. Mm. I mean, and, and that's what's so important because not only have you helped the man, you, you've talked to him, you've witnessed to him, you're in the process of discipling him, but you also helped fill his stomach, you know? Mm. And, and I think that's really, really important. So as a Christian, how, how, how does our understanding of money policy, you know, wh- a couple of things, I guess I'm looking at one is the Austrian model looks at the reality of human evil and human fallenness and pain and suffering. And to me, the, the Keynesian model, Keynesian model, I know I'm saying it wrong, kind of has this false view of human nature that everything will work out in the end. And that's just really not the mm. way the world works. But also with the Austrian model, to me, it supports as Christians what we're supposed to do as far as walking alongside people. Because if I, as a Christian, just rely on the government to help my fellow man, then there's, a, there's emotional detachment. I'm not emotionally invested in the well-being of this person as God commands me to. I'm just like, oh, the government mm. will take care of that person. That No, that's not 
What's supposed mm. to happen? We're supposed to do life with the struggling members on our community. And I know maybe I could be a little off base with some of that. And I'm, maybe I'm rambling a little bit, but those are just a couple of thoughts that come to my mind when looking at the different monetary policies and what responsibility mm. and why is it important as Christians to be good stewards with our money and how does it help further our, and then two, I, I was, and I, I know I'm asking you actually like five questions Glenn, at one time, <laughs> but also to me as Christians, to me, it's really important for us to have wealth within the Christian community so we can do God's business. And I have a friend of mine who always says that everything about me belongs to God. My money belongs to God. My body belongs to God. My mind belongs to God. Because one think of one something really simple, the entertainment industry. How much more would our entertainment industry be something beautiful, be something that designed to glorify God if you had Christians, sincere Christians, funding movies, mm. sincere Christians funding um, entertainment music, sincere Christians funding our schools and education system. I mean, right, right. how much different would our society be? So to me, this is really an important issue. Yeah, I guess, uh, I mean, if you talk, like, I, I think this is the thing, right? Like the number one, like all of us are chief executive officers of our lives. Mm. You know, obviously God is in control of our life, but you know, everyone needs to figure out capital allocation. How do I allocate my money, mm. right? In terms of the, if you're a CEO of Coca-Cola or whatever, you need to figure out how do I allocate my money, right? If, 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 and, and the whole purpose of allocating money is to diversify. So you, you spread your risk out. You don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, people like to say, don't put all your eggs in one basket, but they keep everything in cash. That's the biggest basket that's going to definitely break, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you read like in the Bible, like, I think in Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, it says, you know, uh, send your grain across the seas and in time profits will flow back to you, but divide your investment investments among many places for you don't know what risk may lie ahead, mm. right? So even, even in scripture, it talks about us being wise with our uh, capital, you know, and how to actually grow it and what we should actually be doing with it. Obviously, you know, uh, for me, like, you know, when I invest, it's obviously to get financially free, but then when now, now when I'm financially free, right? Because I'm like time is sort of literally money. And now I am free. I'm financially free. If it, it frees me up of the time to sit in front of the computer, but now I can use that time to be doing more ministry work and helping people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, because you do donate a lot of your time to like even the little group we're in, you know, it's just giving people information. You're right. You're able to help other people and be there for other people. And also I feel like when we lack financial freedom and independence, it puts us at the mercy of the world because a lot of people in poverty, oftentimes we see people, because you know, I teach and I have some students who do like really, some of my, not most, but I have a few students who do really immoral things like prostitution. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds like an extreme example, but think about it. Everybody who engages in sinful activity, especially like prostitution and drug dealing, it's, it's not necessarily like these people are just, of course it's wickedness, of course it's sin, but it's not like these people consciously say, you know what? I don't mm. really care about God. I just want to be in rebellion. I just right, want right. to sin because I just enjoy sinning. That right. is not the conscious mm. thought that goes mm. into, like I had a particular student who was prostituting. That wasn't the thought that went into her mind. You know what thought went into her mind? You just know what? Her, yep. Her, her mother abandoned her. Her father was an alcoholic. She was 16 with a kid. She's like, mm. I need to feed my, I need to feed myself and my son. Right. Right. So if, if she had financial freedom, then the the desire or the the need because if you think about it as a young girl you're living in the hood you have no money you have no stable family you're you mm-hmm. have a kid she's like what else can i do 
Mm. I can sell my, my body for sex. So oh. that's one of the reasons why a lot of times in poorer communities, we see higher rates of crime because the people feel so desperate and you oh, have yeah, to eat. It does. And then two, another thing as Christians, if more of us are financially free, then we have the financial ability to walk on, alongside a young lady like that and help her. So she doesn't feel like, Hey, you know what? I can find another way to feed my son. Right. And there's Christians in her. Cause it's like, if everybody's in the wagon, the wagon goes nowhere, right, you know, right, right, it's, exactly. it's stuck. So if you have more people outside of the wagon and just imagine if you have a community filled with believers who are financially secure and free and independent, and this young mm -hmm. lady falls on hard time, it's not so much a burden on the community because you have 20 people outside the wagon who are financially independent. You have this one young lady inside the wagon. So if you yeah. got 20 people pulling the wagon, well, one, a woman and a small child, that wagon can go fast. Yeah, you know, but I, everybody I, I, is struggling, it's yeah. going nowhere. Yeah, I, I want to say this also, like, you know, when it comes to investing, like back to investing, mm -hmm. um, one of the common myths is you need to have a lot of money to invest, mm -hmm. right? While a lot of money definitely helps, right? You know, the skill of investing and the confidence that comes with it is more important. Mm -hmm. I, mean, if I can teach you how to do it and you're confident in doing it, right? Then you're going to be much better off, right? What I mean by this, right? Let, let, like, Let's say um, somebody said, oh, I made $10,000 last week, right? Investing, right? $10,000 is a lot of money, right? But somebody would say, uh, I will ask that person. The question is, how much did you use to make that $10,000? What capital did you start with? And if this guy goes like, well, I had a hundred grand and you know, I made $10,000 this week, that's only 10%, right? He made 10% based off uh, what he invested in. Whereas if somebody said to me, Glenn, I made... $200, I made $100 this week. And I will say to them, what do you start with? And they say, well, I had $100. So technically, mm -hmm. that person made 100% and the other person made 10%, right? But because, again, people need to realize they want to see money quick, right? They, they, they give up. They give up really easily. And I want to say, look, the person who was able to double his money in a week, right? Even though it's 100 to 200, that person has more skill, right? Than the person who made 10%, right? Because if you can grow 100 to 200, you can easily grow 1,000 to 2,000, 100,000 to 200,000, a million to 2 million, right? It's the same principle, right? It's all about discipline and mindset. And, and one thing is people, they, they don't realize it's like, they're like, yeah, you know what? Um, I'm scared to invest 100 because I don't have money. But it's the truth, right? The same person who says this, they, they don't want to invest because they, they only have $100, if you gave them $10,000, they still wouldn't invest it because they're still, mm -hmm. they're, so, they're so attached to it. When they have that big sum, they wouldn't know what to do with it. They'll probably spend it and they'll go, they'll go broke again, right? Mm. So, so you have to like start somewhere, right? If you grow your 100 to 200, 200 to 400, right? You know, your money will grow very quickly because of compound interest, right? And, and one of the most basic rules is if you are able to make 36% every year, 36% of interest every single year, you will literally double your wealth every two years. Mm -hmm. So now you just need to count. If I want $100,000, how long will it take me to get to $100,000 if I just need to make 36% a year? Let me ask you really quick. Um, what's the difference? What, what is compound interest compared to like regular interest? What are the different types of interest? Yeah, yeah so like re regular interest is just like example, right? You, you, you put $1,000 and you get a 10% interest. So mm -hmm. you made 10% interest. Now you're 1,010, right? Right. Compound interest is interest on top of that interest, right? So the following year, right, you have $1,010. And guess what? You make another 1,000%. So mm -hmm. 
So instead of a hundred dollars, you're making you're making a hundred you're, you're making a hundred and one dollars, mm. or you're making a hundred and ten dollars. Sorry, you know, mm-hmm. and it, and it keeps compounding, 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 and next thing you know, right, you you're 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 close to like five figures and then six figures and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I mean, just to keep it simple, right? You know, all of us here we have played Monopoly, right? Mm, yeah. The goal, <laughs> The goal of Monopoly is, you know, pass, go $200, stay out of jail. Mm-hmm. Own four, if you want to win in the game of Monopoly, you have to own four greenhouses and one red hotel. Four greenhouses and one red hotel. You have that, you're good. You're going you're gonna to probably win, right? And we go like, yeah, it's so simple, right? But the truth is, imagine most people, they live their life like Monopoly, just collecting $200, trying to stay out of jail without owning any assets, <laughs> Right? And, yeah. and, and the, difference, yeah. the, the difference between the poor and the rich person is the, the rich person will use their money to make more money because they put their money in, in assets that appreciates, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they buy stocks, they buy houses, they buy cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, right? Dogecoin maybe. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm a Dogecoin uh, person. <laughs> right, right, right. But, but um, the normal people, they buy liabilities. So they buy their PS5, they buy their Jordans, they buy you know, the cute dress or the nice jacket, the nice shoe. And it's like, what is it worth? Like, what is it worth in the future? Like, why would you, or they buy Pokemon? Actually, no, Pokemon cards are worth more than Fiat cash. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. If, if, if you, yeah, certain Pokemon cards are worth like a lot of money. But, but, but you get my point, right? It's like, it's like, it's like where do you, where, like, so where do you, cho- like, what do you choose to store your time and your value, right? Mm. Cash is meant for spending. You shouldn't store your time and value in cash. You should store your time in assets. That was part one of my conversation with my really great friend, Glenn Meyer. I had to extend it into two episodes because we talked for an hour and a half and it was so much great content that I didn't want to leave anything out. So the first half, you see, we are talking a lot about economics and economic policy and how that factors into the why we need to consider investing our money into cryptocurrency because our dollar is getting weak because of careless and irresponsible economic policy that we wouldn't even tell people to govern their everyday lives with, but yet we decide to govern our nation by that failed policy. Makes no sense. So tomorrow we'll be back with part two of this wonderful interview I did with my great friend, Glenn Meyer. See you later.